This episode of the Ed Surge Podcast is brought to you with support from UNC Chapel Hill's Master of Arts in Education, Innovation, Technology, and Entrepreneurship Program, or MITE. That's M-E-I-T-E, a forward-thinking program that develops leaders in educational innovation. I did get to a point where I saw that the kids were coming in and their love of reading and writing was just slowly going out the door. Like it was just, they were just coming in, sitting down, you know, reluctantly opening up their book. But I felt the same way. Hello, and welcome to the Ed Surge Podcast, a weekly look at the future of education. I'm Stephen Uno. The voice you just heard was Chrissy Romano Arabito. She's a columnist here at Ed Surge, and she's been a classroom teacher for about 27 years. She's taught everything from first grade to middle school in her home state of New Jersey. But a few years ago, she began to experience something that may sound familiar to a lot of educators. Burnout. Or not burnout exactly, but demoralization. It's a similar concept and the subject of today's podcast. We're going to hear from Chrissy a little later on, and another teacher as well. But first, a little context. The U.S. is in the midst of a growing teacher shortage, which according to researchers at the Economic Policy Institute is only getting bigger. By some estimates, there are as many as 100,000 job vacancies for qualified teachers going unfilled. Today, there are more teachers leaving the profession for reasons other than retirement compared with the 1980s. To some experts, at least part of that retention crisis is caused by teacher dissatisfaction, which is also on the rise. And demoralization could be a serious contributing factor. Dora Santoro is a researcher and the education chair at Bowdoin College, and one of those experts. She's the author of the book Demoralized, Why Teachers Leave the Profession They Love and How They Can Stay, which includes more than a dozen accounts of teachers who have struggled with the issue. She says that demoralization is different than burnout, which can indicate a personal failing. Although they can produce similar feelings, demoralization is more systemic and beyond an individual teacher's control. Here's how she described it to me in a recent interview. So demoralization is when a teacher feels that they can no longer access uh, the moral goods of their work or what makes their work morally good. If it sounds a little complicated, Santoro acknowledges that, yeah, it can be. But the crux of it is that all teachers have a moral reason for becoming teachers, what she calls a moral center. And when that gets compromised by things like scripted curricula, a fixation on standardized test scores, punitive evaluation systems, top-down personalized learning initiatives, or lack of support from administrators, then teachers can start to feel frustrated or even ashamed of the work they're doing. In short, when teachers feel demoralized, they no longer feel like they can be good teachers. And that, in turn, may be prompting them to leave, she says some sort of dissatisfaction is the major source of uh, why teachers uh, leave the profession. So I'm going to say that if a major source of teachers entering the profession is because of moral reasons, a significant number of those are going to be leaving for moral reasons as well. Demoralization hits teachers especially hard because of that moral center, Santoro says but also because of the demands placed on teachers through the teacher-hero narrative we've established in our culture. 
we in the U.S. Um, set up a teacher hero narrative. We see it in our movies. We talk about it, you know, and, and, you know, teachers do have incredible impact on students, but we also then put near total responsibility on teachers for uh, ensuring that either schools succeed or students succeed when there are actually a whole host of factors that go into enabling a school to be uh, a thriving place or for students to be able to flourish. One of the most interesting aspects of demoralization is that it's not always easy to diagnose or solve, although Santoro says remoralization is possible. As I mentioned earlier, demoralization is systemic, meaning teachers really don't have control over it. It can feel like new rules are supplanting the old order, which makes good moral teaching more difficult or even impossible. Here's Santoro again. I think demoralization happens when you are in situations with chronic and ongoing conflicts, value conflicts that you can't resolve. Sometimes those conflicts bubble to the surface, and Romano Arabito describes many encounters with administrators over testing and curriculum changes. But for other teachers, the conflict can start off as an internal one. That was the case for Danielle Arnold Schwartz, a teacher in an affluent district outside Philadelphia who has also taught both middle and elementary school. Arnold Schwartz wasn't feeling burned out per se, but she was getting frustrated with what she calls corporate education reform, which to her includes things like pointless new jargon, a steady stream of top-down initiatives she couldn't buy into, and changes to the teacher evaluation system that she says was more like a checklist than a conversation with the principal. But being in the suburbs, it felt to her more like a creep than an outright deluge, she says. What I'm seeing in the suburbs is that they're using more assessments such as benchmarks to control the pacing much more subtly. Everything is much more subtle. In fact, my marketing degree is an interesting lens to view all of this from. There's something in marketing called the JND, the Just Noticeable Difference. And that is when the candy bar shrinks inside, but the wrapper stays the same. And that's what I see happening. When I asked Arnold Schwartz to describe what demoralization felt like, her answer surprised me. She said it was actually a relief when she discovered the concept. Almost like giving it a name and a definition allowed her to start addressing it. The best way I could describe it is like it was, I was going through all of the stages of mourning. And I felt like I was walking around with a weight on my shoulders when I was at work, when I was at home, I couldn't shake it. And, you know, the stages of grief are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. So I'm still fighting the good cause. I really believe in public education and uh, haven't given up quite yet, but there's an acceptance that I don't have the control. Arnold Schwartz eventually did become a vocal critic of the reform efforts that bothered her. But not every teacher does, even while experiencing demoralization. In her book, Santoro describes the four R's of teacher reactions. Rebels, rule changers, rule followers, and recluses. According to Arnold Schwartz, other teachers in her school affected the mask of the rule follower, despite misgivings. She even analogizes it to the classic Hans Christian Andersen fairy tale, The Emperor's New Clothes. 
I will share that I have been in certain in-services where we've had hired consultants. This is another demoralizing thing. Um, just the race to get public money in people's pockets. So this whole idea of consultants is very big. One example is we were sitting at an in-service with a nationally known consultant who um, uses meta-analysis as evidence of his research-based practices. And all of the math and science teachers started texting each other because they noticed a flaw in what the presenter was saying. And so we'll share it with each other, but we have to feel like we're nodding and saying, oh, the emperor's clothes are amazing. After the break, we catch up with Chrissy Romano Arabito to discuss her experiences. And later, we talk about how it's possible to become remoralized. Stay with us. The Mighty program is open to innovators, educators, and entrepreneurs interested in making an impact using technology. Mighty features coursework customized to your interests and an internship with a leading-edge edtech company in the Research Triangle. You'll have the opportunity to create learning environments and design breakthrough edtech. Join them December 4th from 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for a virtual information session. Learn more on their website, ed.unc.edu slash mighty. That's ed.unc.edu slash m-e-i-t-e. Chrissy Romano Arabito is the teacher we heard from at the start of this episode. For her, the issues leading to demoralization were simple enough to name. Testing and curriculum. She tells me she loved working in elementary school, but the switch to middle school was tough. She had taught younger grades before with end-of-year tests, and while it was stressful, it didn't rise to the same level. Looking back, the earliest flags of demoralization, she says, came from her school's administration. It was a great atmosphere in the first year or two, but then there's, there started to be a turnover in the administration. Um, you had, you know, one principal left and retired, and then another came in and stayed for a year or two and then retired, and then another came in and then moved to another position. And it was just this constant turnover of administrators, and that really took its toll on the culture and climate and morale in the building. Romano Arabito says the school climate was also roiled by a rigid adherence to scoring well on the end of your test. And that began to crowd out what makes teaching special for her, which is engaging students in learning, making it fun, and getting to know her students as individuals. But that was getting harder and harder to do. Everything that we did uh, was focused on the test. So that surely is, you know, demoralizing. There was never any room to talk about kids or to talk about, you know, how can we teach this in a different way? It was all about the program and it was all about um, really teaching programs and not kids, which is really an, uh, an awful way to, uh, to be in the classroom. That's when she says students began losing their love of reading and writing, which really saddened her. Her response was to go to bat for her students. She thought back to how she reacted when her own children were younger when she would review their projects and their connections to state standards and take her concerns directly to teachers and administrators. And she thought the students she taught deserved an advocate who would fight for them just as hard, even if it put her at odds with school leaders. Here's how she described one of her biggest challenges, which was over the literacy staples known as basal readers, or textbook-like anthologies of short works that are sometimes used to script curriculum. 
She takes us inside a typical faculty meeting from that era. And I would just say, so even if they're not getting it, move on. So even if the kids aren't engaged, you want us to teach it. So even if it's really not in the best interest of the kids and everything that you read, you know, says to move away from basal readers and, and, you know, move to small group instruction and teaching novels. And so even so, you still want us to do it this way, you know, and then I get the dirty look and the slap on the wrist. And basically, it's like, uh, you need to stop talking now. <laughs> just, just do what we're telling you to do. Things are a little better there now, Romano Arabito says, but she's not around to witness it. After years of requests, Four years ago, she received a transfer to an elementary school, where she now teaches second grade. Her former middle school didn't break the news to her with much tact, she says, but she now sees it as a blessing in disguise. She loves second grade and has fully thrown herself into the challenge, tapping into the second grade teaching community on Instagram along the way. But becoming a remoralized teacher isn't always so neat, and switching grades or schools might not always solve the problem. In response, Santoro created what she calls a menu of options teachers might explore for reconnecting with their moral centers and making changes. First, though, she says teachers need to have an honest conversation with themselves. So the first thing I'd say is, what do you need to do to do good work? Or what's preventing you from doing good work? And ask yourself, can I do that now? What's stopping me from doing that right now? From there, teachers can put themselves in a position to address those issues. Some, she says, have gotten involved in leadership roles in their local teachers' union or in politics. Others are writing or working to galvanize parents and inform them of structural issues that make teaching and learning hard. And still others have carved out new positions either in or adjacent to the classroom where they saw a need. Arnold Schwartz has become more of an activist, which she describes as a very lonely role in the suburbs. She blogs now and gets involved where she can, which has connected her to new people and helped remove some of the isolation from her experiences with demoralization and the complicity she saw with reform efforts she disagreed with. She even gets recognized sometimes. Interestingly, even in my community, I would be somewhere and give my name for a reservation or whatever. And people would say, I've heard your name. How do I know you? So it started to feel like maybe some people were considering what I had to say. And that helped. Everyone I spoke with for this episode shared one common piece of advice. Connect with people who are feeling like you are and who want to make change, which Arnold Schwartz says can be very empowering. Even before her transfer, Romano Arabito began attending ed camps which are impromptu educator conferences that encourage organic discussion. She made new friends on social media and began meeting teachers from across New Jersey for Sunday coffee. That is a stark contrast to what things were like for her in the throes of demoralization. I read somewhere not too long ago, I don't know, a quick little saying, it's like, you are the sum of the five people you surround yourself with. And I really do believe that because when I was in a funk and I was feeling burnt out and demoralized, I looked at who I was spending a lot of time with. They were the biggest complainers in the building. They were the ones that never really had solutions to problems. They would just like to get together and moan and groan and just wallow in that. And that's not good for anybody. So I, I think that's the first thing. You definitely need to connect with positive people 
Remoralization is certainly possible, but it does take work. I want to close this episode with a quote from Santoro, who reflected on her own experiences in interviewing so many demoralized educators for her book. I think it's a valuable perspective on the realities of demoralization and how teachers are once again learning to love the thing they do best, which is teach our students. I mean, in many ways, um, it's heartbreaking to hear these stories. Um, it um, makes me really angry that uh, people with this degree of talent and energy and passion are being stymied in this way. It makes me worried as a teacher educator about sending new talented teachers out um, into this environment. But at the same time, um, I had a lot of hope from speaking with these folks. This has been the Ed Surge Podcast. Each week we feature real conversations like this one. So please subscribe on Spotify or iTunes or wherever you get podcasts. My deepest gratitude to Doris, Chrissy, and Danielle for sharing their time and stories, and thanks to everyone out there for listening. If you have a story to share or something to say about demoralization, our door here at EdSurge is always open, and you can reach me at steven at edsurge.com. That's Steven with a P-H. Or on Twitter at S-T-E-P-H-E-N-O-O-N-O-O. This episode was edited by me, Steven Nunu, and produced by my colleague, Jeff Young. We'll be back next week with more on the future of education. Till then.